Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Happy New Year. I hope you're having a good day. We are, but because of some unforeseen circumstances, I'm going to attach a dig a bit file that I would like for you to listen to. I was going to talk through this subject with you, and it's the subject of repentance. And does a person have to repent before we forgive that person? Does a person have to repent, first of all, before God forgives? And secondly, does repentance have to precede forgiveness when the offense is between fellow men, fellow women? So what about that subject? I know that there's a narrative out there that calls us to forgive and defines forgiveness as moving on, but is that a correct narrative biblically? That's the topic of the link that I'm going to post right now, and it is a lesson from Polishing the Pulpit 2017 presented by my husband, Glenn Colley. It actually covers better than probably what I could this topic, although I like for our precedent to be the one where every lesson is presented by a woman. Our unforeseen circumstances that Clint and I both have the flu right now, nothing serious, but we are trying to go through our day today with as little talking as possible. However, this topic, because requested and many of you have discussed it with me or with others and there's just been a lot of interest in this topic so the folks over at polishing the pulpit have been very kind in letting us just post the link to it and that will be your dig a bit for today i think that it's just about 25 minutes long so it's pretty short take the time to listen if you possibly can because i think it'll be something that may be helpful to us all as we think about this topic. I'm praying for our new year of Digging Deep, especially for these mini podcasts. I think that many of you have been very encouraging about these. Many of you are listening to them. And so we're going to try to continue them. This is installment number four of December, and we will quickly be uploading four weekly, uh, you know, weekly-ish podcasts in this miniature form for the month of January. Our December podcast is big podcast, video podcast is also delayed. That will be happening on January 9th, a Tuesday, next Tuesday night, only six days away. It'll be happening on January 9th and um, I will have one of my sisters from West Huntsville joining me and we will be discussing the very timely topic of repentance. We may touch on this audio that you'll be listening to so listen in preparation if you do have the time and i hope that again you will use this new year for his glory use every moment of every day for his glory and i'm praying that i can surely do that some of us have had difficult 2017s and we are hoping for a little bit more calm and peace in 2018 some of us are expecting let's begin This is an interesting subject, I think, and hopefully it's one that will be uh, widely interesting. Do we forgive people who don't seek forgiveness? 
Now, why this is interesting is because there's naturally a narrative out there that uh, from people who are Christians and people who are not, that Christians, because we're the way that we are, we follow the king, that we're forgiving in a very broad way. That whether or not someone seeks our forgiveness is rather irrelevant. That the forgiveness is something that occurs really inside of me. Has nothing really to do with the person who's committed the sin. In April of 1999, when the terrible Columbine shooting occurred, before the bodies were hardly cold, there was a bed sheet that was put up on the side of that school building that named the shooters and said, we forgive you. And when you, when you look at it at the first, you say, well, you know, that doesn't that make, isn't that how it should be? I mean, because we're so forgiven. Isn't it, isn't it the case that we should be forgiving of everyone? One author wrote, psychologists generally define forgiveness as a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. But now, you know, this can get real personal, too. Suppose, suppose my father sexually abused me when I was a child. Now, as an adult, I've approached him more than once to say, I need to settle this. I need to fix this. Can't we talk? And won't you, won't you admit it? And then let's get past this. And his response is, it never happened. And I know, I know that he's never going to ask forgiveness for this because he denies the very existence of it. How do I deal with that? And is it, is it that I should just forgive him for that? My mother committed adultery and my father divorced her. Dad's remarried, but he can't talk to me about it because of his anger and she is so full of wrath that she can never even speak to him and there will never be a request for any forgiveness from anybody. Look, everything I know about forgiveness I learned from my Lord. Ephesians 4 and 32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And then this clause, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So for this class, the next few minutes, what I want to do is to give you seven things. Seven important things that I believe are relevant to this discussion of forgiving, forgiving someone who does not seek forgiveness. Now, here's the first one. Jesus binds us to be forgiving. So we go through the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And part of that is that we make petition for forgiveness. When Jesus finishes teaching the prayer, he sort of has a comeback. He, let, let me revisit that. And he said, because if you don't forgive men who trespass against you, neither would your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. In other words, are you ready for this? Because this is concrete and important. Your salvation, the forgiveness that God will give to you, is tied to whether or not you're willing to forgive people. That's pretty serious. But it's not just that. I mean, so we have more details than that. So we go from there to Matthew chapter 18. Peter came to our Lord and he said, So, how often should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? And you, you know what Jesus responded to that. No, no, 70 times seven. Now that's, of course, an exaggeration in order to make the point that, that my forgiveness 
as dictated by my Lord, is to be this big. But it doesn't just stop there. So we go now to Luke chapter 17 and verse 4. If, if he trespasses against you seven times in a day, and seven times he turns and asks forgiveness, you forgive him. Seven times he repents, you forgive him. Now I declare to you, that first couple of times I think I could do that. But when you get to number five, I mean this has been going on all day. And he turns and he says, I know I did it again to you, but I want you to forgive me. I, I repent of that. I'm going to be pretty skeptical. And, and I don't like, frankly, I don't like this one. If I put this into the reality of my life and I try to imagine myself in those circumstances, I mean, it's been six times today that you've done this. I'm going to find his credibility pretty low when he says, I repent of this. But then I back up and I say, yeah, but what Jesus is teaching is characteristic of the way he forgives me. Have you ever committed a sin and asked his forgiveness? And it's just no time at all before you do something stupid and repeat that action and say, Lord, I know that you just forgave me, but I did it again. I'm so sorry. Forgive me again. And he will. I know he will. Because what he requires of me here is characteristic of him. And the way that we learn how to forgive is by looking at him. You should like this mindset because it mirrors the kind of forgiveness that God bestows on you and me. So again, Ephesians 4 and 32, be kind one to another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here it comes. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Number two, nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus teach that forgiveness should be extended unconditionally. So we go to Luke chapter 17 and verse 3. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Now, I want you to appreciate the fact that this comes right next to the, the teaching about if he sins seven times in a day and seven times he says, I repent, then you forgive him. So in this context of this big, big thing of forgiveness, he says this, if he repent, forgive him. Okay, so, you know, so maybe he doesn't mean it. I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we're misreading this. Maybe, no, that's not true. See, Matthew chapter 18 is critical about this. I'm telling you that Jesus means to say that forgiveness is a term that has meaning. Words mean something. We're going to talk about terminology in a few minutes and, and how we can get around, get our arms around this. But I'm telling you that the New Testament never offers forgiveness or encourages us to offer forgiveness where there is no repentance. So in Matthew chapter 18, you know how this goes. If your brother sins against you, then you go to him privately, just the two of you. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. But what if he doesn't? Well, you, then you take one or two with you, that at the word of one or two witnesses, every word shall be established. Now, a couple of things could happen when, when you go with these friends and you say, could you listen to this and, and help with this? And so they listen to the case. And when it's finished, one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to say, we listen to this. There's no sin here. You, you just need to relax. You got too stressed about something that's, this is nothing. Just, just forget it. Or they're going to say, you know, this is a sin. And they're going to turn to the offender and say, 
you need to make this right. But I know, I'm starting in a motion here. I mean, I've set into motion a progression that Jesus taught us. And what that means is that if this person doesn't repent now, we're going to have to tell it to the church. And if he, if he won't hear the church, then we're going to have to withdraw our fellowship from him. We're going to treat him as a heathen man and a publican. I came to ask you this question. Wouldn't it be easier just to say to him, I forgive you? Why should we go to all this trouble and endanger? The, I mean, this, this is going to upset the whole church. The whole church potentially could be involved in this. And couldn't I have settled it easier just by saying, I forgive you? But appreciate that that wouldn't fulfill what Jesus is teaching here. And that is that forgiveness is a technical term. Forgiveness has significance attached to it. And, and what is required is seeking forgiveness. What is required is, is a regret and a penitence over the fact that I committed that sin. And without it... The New Testament does not teach forgiveness. All right, here's number three. Forgive has multiple meanings. Now, you probably know this already. If you're sitting at the table and you, please excuse me, but if you belch, didn't mean to. How very embarrassing. And you say, people around the table are looking at you. you forgive me. You know, that's, that's pretty mild. I'd say that's the mildest use of the term. When you go down to Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 25, and you have that that parable that our Lord gives us about the man who owes the king 10,000 talents. A talent is a weight of money, of gold or silver. It doesn't say which. doesn't really matter because the point is still the same. Whether it's gold or silver, he can't pay it. And he comes and he begs the king, I, 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 I can't pay. If you will just be merciful, just be patient with me, and I will pay you all. I doubt that. I doubt he could fulfill that. But the king, the Bible says, are you ready for this? forgave him the debt. That's rather a different use of the term. And it means that I release you from the obligation of the money that you owe me. I forgive you the debt. But then here's the third use of it. It means to pardon, to excuse, to exonerate, to absolve. This is the one we're working on to make allowances for, to feel no resentment toward, to feel no malice toward, to harbor no grudge against, to bury the hatchet with, to let bygones be bygones. I read from Focus on the Family, and Focus on the Family often has very good material on this question. And here's what they say, I quote, if they don't repent, we still have to forgive. Even if they never ask, we need to forgive. We should memorize and repeat over and over. Forgiveness is about our attitude, not their action. Theologian Lewis Smedes writes, and I quote, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. A lot of of Christian help books will echo this that forgiveness is about the emotional and physical benefit attached to it. And contemporary understandings of forgiveness may very well have psychological outcomes that are, that are pleasant. That the forgiveness is good for the forgiver, that it sets you free. But I'm here to tell you this morning 
That's not what the Bible teaches. It's, it's not about me. It's, it's not about how I feel in the extending of the forgiveness. Number four. Jesus prayed for forgiveness for some impenitent men. Now, this is, this is critical to this discussion, it seems to me. Luke 23 and 34. And here's my Lord hanging on the cross. And if there was ever a time, don't you suppose, ever a time when the Almighty would be inclined to answer somebody's prayer in the positive, to give the person what he's asking for, it would be under this circumstance where his precious darling son from the cross was making this request. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, he was certainly right about that. But I ask you this question. Why do you suppose Jesus didn't forgive them? I mean, wasn't he capable of doing that? Hadn't he done that with the thief? Hmm? Didn't he have the authority to forgive? And the answer, of course, is yes. And he's done it multiple times before he actually died. And why couldn't he, on this occasion, simply say to these people around the cross, those wagging their heads and mocking him, like, we, if he comes down from the cross, we'll believe him. Right. Why didn't he just say to all of them, I forgive you? The answer is it would be inconsistent with reality. It would be inconsistent with what the truth was. Now, did God answer that prayer? Now, you've got to, got to wrestle with this. Did God answer that prayer? And the answer, of course, is yes. When? Acts 2 and 23. Who's he addressing? Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. These are the ones who took my Lord to the cross. And to these people, the apostle Peter would say, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of... Wait a minute. See, this is the answer to the question. This is the answer. I believe that the reason Jesus didn't forgive those people himself is because he's making this petition to God to work this out according to the dictates of what is right in heaven. Work this out. Forgive them. But God didn't forgive them at that that moment. He forgave them later. When? When they repented and were baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. There it is. There's the forgiveness. Draw a line. Draw a line from the cross all the way over to Acts 2. And you say, there's the answer to that prayer. Number five. It probably should be included in this list that John teaches there's a sin for which we shouldn't pray. You remember 1 John 5 and 16. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say he should pray for it. Now, we've, we've made a practice of public confession in the Lord's church. And it's because of the teaching here. The point is that, that it is a right thing when, when someone repents of sin that, that we should pray about that matter. We should pray for that person. 
But, but there, there's a line drawn here. There's a sin for which we should not pray, and to do so would be inappropriate and wrong. So what's the answer to that? Well, well, what is the sin that is right to pray for and the sin that's not right to pray for? And the answer is in the same book. It's in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, put it together, and what you get is this. The sin which will be forgiven is the one which a man confesses and repents of. If he does that, then the church ought to pray for him. It is a right thing to pray for that. But then it begs the question, so how do we know? How do you know if the person in question has repented of that? And the answer is, he comes forward and he says, I I did this, and you're aware of this, and I I want your forgiveness, and I want you to pray for me. And and because of that repentance, it's a good thing to do because forgiveness is the appropriate action. I do not say that you should pray that way if he does not repent. That would be, are you ready for this? A wrong thing to do. It would be wrong and inappropriate for you to pray without that repentance being present. Number six, I want you to appreciate that this, while this may be considered a matter of semantics, that it's critical. I mean, words mean something. And I I can imagine a circumstance under which getting this wrong could contribute to a man being lost. Suppose I reason this way. Because I'm a Christian, I need to show kindness to the people around me. And this man has sinned against me. And if I forgive him, I voluntarily extend forgiveness to him. It might motivate him to repent. He He might be so impressed by the generosity of Christianity that he wants to repent of that. But I want to say this to you. In Scripture, forgiveness is never used as a kindness extended in hopes of getting a person to repent. And I would ask you this question. Consider, please, would you consider that, that it's easy to, to, to imagine a circumstance where God is not forgiving a person of a sin that maybe, maybe has some connection to me. It may be a sin which was committed against me, but would you appreciate that we, I mean, we live in a triangle, don't we? So my relationships are not just a straight line between me and this other person. In all of your relationships, we, we, we live in this triangle. It's, it's me and this other person and God, right? And so even, even why may I may forgive, but what about God? And if the sin that was committed against me is also against God, and I extend forgiveness without repentance... And so there's still this outstanding thing when what really matters is that it was against God. Do you suppose that that I may have made that man feel better about his sin so that he won't ever repent? Why should he repent? He already has forgiveness. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, but his long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish. You, you, you know the rest, don't you? But that all should come to repentance. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a triangle. Now I want you to look how Paul ends his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to observe that in this last letter from his pen, he acknowledges his pain. He acknowledges the sin, some of which was directly against him. But I want you to listen closely to his terminology. Because what he does is to hand the whole thing over to the Lord. I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men, uh, men forsook me. I pray, God, that it might not be laid to their charge. I think that's very interesting. I, so why, why didn't Paul just say, but I forgive them? And the reason is because that word means something. It, it has significance attached to it, and it would be inappropriate for him to do that. So what he did instead was to hand it over to the Lord. He said, I pray not this sin would be laid to their charge, but that doesn't put the impetus on him. It puts it on God. This is your business, not mine. I, I hold no ill will to them, but this is your affair. Forgiveness is your affair. And with that, he died. Here's number seven. Let's use better terminology. What I want to do is to suggest that we couch it in similar terms. Somebody has sinned against me. And it seems to me that, that when we think of examples of this and you think of it in your life, there are trivial things, aren't there? There, there are things that people may do and, and, and it doesn't matter. It sort of rolls off us and we don't, we're not very concerned about those things. But it seems to me that when it really becomes big is when it's a family member. It's a funny thing about family and sin is that, is that because I love somebody so much, there's a certain vulnerability attached to that, and I have conveyed to them the ability to hurt me more than anybody else if they choose to do that, right? I mean, isn't that the reason why, why divorce can be, I mean, the, the darkest, blackest old hatred I believe I've ever seen is in connection to people who once loved one another enough to stand before a preacher and vow holy matrimony. But, but that's just the point, isn't it? Is that I gave you my heart and I created a vulnerability. I offered you my heart and then what you did was to turn around and violate that trust and you stomped on that heart. And, and that pain is different because you see, it, goes, it goes deeper. And it's because of the love. I've opened myself up. It's because of the love that the pain gets so black and dark and the anger can be like it is. I say that to say that I think that, that when this becomes very practical to us is in reference to family members. And in this room right now, I strongly suspect we have people who have family members right now in their lives who have sinned against you. And who you're convinced will never, ever, ever repent. Never ask forgiveness. It won't happen. And so what I want to propose to you as we conclude is a different terminology. Borrowing from the Apostle Paul, I believe it is inappropriate and wrong for us to say to or about a person who has sinned but does not seek forgiveness to say, I forgive you. Do not do that. 
But I believe it is wholly right after we've, we've taken whatever course we can to help that person be right with God, that it's altogether right to say, I'm going to let that go and put it in the hands of God. I, I don't have anything else I can do to affect this. I've gone as far as I can. I'm done. I don't hold animosity toward this person. You know what? That, that, that's between him and God. Fact is, I have pity toward this person because he's going to have to deal with that. I do not want him to be lost. But there's nothing else I can do. I, I mean, I cannot extend forgiveness. That would be wrong to do. But what, what I can do is to let it go. I can let it go. If in the future I have an opportunity to affect this and I could talk some more about it, maybe this person comes and we open a dialogue, a conversation, and maybe that could happen. But I, I'm out now. And I'm going to let it go. I pray, God, that it might not be laid to their charge. If you find yourself in Huntsville, Alabama, we'd love for you to worship with us at West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m., followed by Bible classes for all ages. We meet again at 5 p.m. for evening worship and at 7 on Wednesday night. Dig a Bit is a production of Digging Deep in God's Word, a Bible study for women. For more information, visit thecolleyhouse.org.